The scripture for today's sermon is 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 24. Live as you are called. The word of God speaks to us like this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of him, at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was not free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is God's word to us. Good morning, guys. It's good to see you guys today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, um, if you're a guest or first time back in a while, uh, my name is Chad Kinster. I serve as one of our pastors, teaching pastor here downtown. And uh, it's been a minute since I've had a chance to open God's Word with you, but I'm really excited uh, that you're here today and you get a chance to do that. So if you've got a Bible, open to the passage that was read just moments ago. Katie did a good job of reading it. Um, Hey, if you've been here with us, you know that we... uh, have been in a mini-series in our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, jumping ahead to chapter 16, talking about masculine virtue uh, over the last few weeks. And as Charlie mentioned, that's being um, now taken to our other congregations. And so what we're doing today is hopping back into our regular study of the book of 1 Corinthians, where we left off before Advent, like after Thanksgiving. And so it's been a while since we've been back in the book, but if you're new to us or you're just jumping in, we've taken up this study of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. We're landing in chapter seven. And if you're curious to catch up, you can do that on, online on our podcast. Uh, so today we've got verses 17 to 24. And if you'd please pray for me, I'll pray for you. And I believe God will shape us today. Let's pray. Father, I'm really thankful today uh, that the way that you have organized your church is not that we would gather every week to hear our opinions or share our ideas with each other. That wouldn't do a lot of good, but the way that you've ordered your church is that we would gather every week to hear from your very heart to us. We would actually hear from your very voice to us in Holy Scripture. And so I pray today that this word would be far more Actually, I pray that this word would be what it is, actually, which is far more than black ink on a white page. This is the very heart and voice of the living God coming to us in our moment. And so for all the ways you intend this word to go out today, would it accomplish every purpose for which you've sent it? God, I ask that you would meet my friends as you've met me this week in our fears, in our pain, our struggle, and our doubts, and all the places of tension, would you please meet us there? And we trust your living and active word to be a big part of how you meet us. And so Holy Spirit, would you attend this moment? Would you lift our eyes to Jesus? And Father, would you be glorified? And all this we pray in Jesus' name. And we said, amen, amen. Hey, I came across an article this week in my kind of daily uh, blog roll news feed. And the article was titled, Repair and Remain. How to do the slow, hard, good work of staying put. 
The article is written by a guy who runs a small home renovation business in Winnipeg, Canada. And I didn't know until the end of the article that he's also a part-time pastor at the local Anglican church there in his town. The reason I clicked on the article is because the preview made it sound like lessons this guy had learned from years of owning his small business and uh, living in his community there in Winnipeg. And I was like, I don't know why, but that just sounded interesting to me on Tuesday. So I clicked the article. What the article turned out to be was just a long-form article on life, on life. And I'll read you a portion of what he said. Sometimes it seems that your circumstance, your fortune, and your exasperating spouse are conspiring to sabotage your happiness and peace of mind, but the one certain irrefutable common factor in all your circumstances is you. You are the bearer and carrier of grief, disappointment, frustration, and heartache, just as you are also the source of much of the same. He said, I wanted a happy article today. It's a good one. Stick with me. He says, so it goes. I've said it more times, uh, more, more than once to a guy who sits across the table and tells me he's planning to leave his marriage. You should stay. Sit in the awful, agonizing sorrow of it all and figure some things out. Your life is very hard. It's a tough sell. I understand because my, because my undisciplined imagination, formed like everyone else's by countless half-minute ads and building-sized billboards, frolics among fantastic, glamorous possibilities of something other than what I've already got. It's a cornucopia of options, promising salvation at the marketplace. It's a new app, it's a new phone, it's a new car, a new house, a new job, new city, a new spouse. The promise is always the same. This thing will make you happy. Never mind trying to fix what you've got. Just get a new one and start over. Repair and remain sounds simple because it is. But simple is not the same as easy. For better or for worse, we say. And everyone likes to stay when it's the better. But staying through the worse, that's the whole point of a vow for Christ's sake. What a provocative thing to say. What a provocative thing to write in our moment when everything is supposed to be built around your happiness and your best life with the path of least resistance. What a provocative thing to say. Hey, what a provocative thing to write at the top end of a new year when everything is supposed to be about something new, something better, something stronger. Get rid of the old. Get in with the turn of a new year. Isn't it true that you and me, we have these regular dreams, these drifting thoughts about being somewhere else with someone else, doing something else, as though that would make me more fulfilled than being where I am, who I'm with, and doing what I'm doing. And I, I bring all that up because that has everything to do with the passage in front of us this morning. A quick reintroduction to the book of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, a church that he had planted and started a few years before this letter was written. And Corinth was an intensely wealthy and pagan city in the midst of the Roman Empire. And not long after Paul planted this church, they started to drift away from the ways of Christ, and they were increasingly being absorbed by the ways of Corinth once again. And so there had been some interaction via some letters written back and forth between Paul and the Corinthian Christians. And what we have starting in chapter 7, where we land today, is Paul addressing 
very specific questions and statements that the church had made to him. And Paul now is bringing some pastoral wisdom. He's bringing some clarity. He's even bringing some correction to what the church had on these issues. So in chapter 7, Paul's dealing with issues like we've talked about already before we left off of sex and marriage, sex within marriage, divorce and remarriage, and next week we'll pick up a conversation on singleness. And what's happening is that there were some in the church who had come to Jesus and they were so entangled by the world that hardly nothing about their life has changed. They're sort of living as they were before but with this sort of move-in faith. And there were others in the church who had come to Jesus, and they're now trying to change everything in their life. They're trying to figure out what all needs to change because of Jesus. They're even starting to change things that Paul's going to say, hey, you shouldn't change that. So, for example, in chapter 7, there were some married couples who were assuming that because we live in such a perverted, promiscuous city in regard to sexuality, maybe the holier and higher spiritual thing to do was even in our marriages to cease from having sex. And Paul's like, hey, you don't have to stop doing that. There were others who were saying, well, maybe it's better for me to separate from my spouse so that I can be more devoted to Jesus. Others were saying, maybe I need to leave my marriage because I've become a Christian since getting married, and my spouse has not become a Christian, so this marriage certainly cannot work. I need to leave the marriage. In the passage following this, there were some saying, I have passions, and I want to get married. Is that okay? And there were others who were saying, I don't have passions. I don't want to get married. I hope that's okay. And there were some widows saying, I want to get remarried. Is that okay? All of that is happening in chapter 7. And sandwiched in the middle of that is our little passage this morning. It feels like a proverb in the midst of all this relationship stuff. And Paul is trying to bring this church that was restless some stability by pointing them back to their calling to Jesus in the middle of their circumstances right where they are in the middle of their situation with all their questions, he's trying to bring them back to stability following Jesus. And the central message of our passage today is going to sound a lot like that Anglican home renovator from Winnipeg, Canada. Repair and remain. Repair and remain. I want you to hear from Paul today the slow, hard, good work of staying put of staying put. Pick up with me in verse 17. Paul's going to give us a rule of life to live by. He says, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And this is my rule, he says, in all the churches. So in essence, Paul's saying, I want you to stop trying to change your situation. I want you to recognize that not only has God met you where you are, He's meeting you now because of your current faith in Jesus. He will continue to meet you where you are. And don't neglect what you can clearly know about your situation. There's two things Paul tells us what all of us can know clearly about our situation, even as we sit here this morning. Number one, God has assigned it to you. God has assigned it to you. Number two, God has and he will meet you in your situation. Two big theological truths are driving Paul here. The first is the sovereignty of God. This morning, wherever you find yourself, whatever your situation is, God has assigned that to you. You say, how can you know? How can you be so sure? Because it's where you are. It's what you have. How can you be so sure that God has ordered my life as it is? Because it's your life as it is. That's how I can be so sure. He says, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him. Now, now, a caveat here, Paul's not talking about 
an ongoing pattern of sin or any areas of your life where you're walking away from Jesus. You can't read this passage and go, well, I'm walking away from Jesus. The Lord has assigned that to me. I have this ongoing sin. The Lord has assigned that to me, so I guess I'll just persist in it. That's not what he's saying. If you recognize walking away from Jesus, if you recognize an area of your life as rebellion against him, that recognition is a grace from God. Turn from that and turn back to God. He's also not talking about situations of harm. If you're in an abusive relationship or a harmful situation, it's not as though you should stay in that because God has assigned it to you. He's not saying that. Don't suffer in silence. If you are in an abusive place, hey, name that to the elders of this church, leaders of this church. We'll do whatever we can to help you get safe. What Paul is talking about here are the more typical relationships, stages, places in life that we find ourselves. When I was a younger, newer Christian, I had an older believer tell me this sort of principle this way. I remember in a Sunday school class when I was a junior in high school, brand new Christian. If God wanted you somewhere else and in a different situation, you'd be there. But you're not. (laughs) So this must be the place that God wants to meet you and teach you to follow Jesus. If God, wanted some, if God wanted you somewhere else in a different situation, then you would be there, but you're not. So this must be the place where he wants to meet you and teach you to follow Jesus. The, 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 second, the second thing that is driving Paul in this rule of life is the call of God. So there's the sovereignty of God. There's the call of God. Notice he says, the life that God has called you to. So when he uses the language of calling here, he's not talking about purpose or vocation. You hear someone say, I feel God calling me to do this thing in the world. He's not talking about it that way. Instead, he's referring to the call of salvation to follow Jesus. That word is used eight times in these verses, and every time he's referring to our calling to follow Jesus, sort of salvation where God first met us. And here's what Paul is driving at. Just like the call of salvation reached you, When you became a Christian, if you're a Christian here today, when you became a Christian, it reached you right in the middle of your life circumstances. However life was going, whether well or poor, you became a Christian right in the middle of that. That's how the gospel reached you. And it's right in the middle of your situation, just like you became a Christian, that you're to carry out the Christian life. That's what he's driving at. The easiest way to restate verse 17 in a few words is this. Be a Christian where you are. And all that it means to be a Christian, trust in Jesus, submit to Jesus, obey Jesus. You can do that wherever you are. In fact, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you will do that wherever you are. That's what Paul's saying. That's be a Christian where you are. I recognize today, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, God is so sovereign that the life that he's assigned to you, part of that is that you'd be assigned to be here today to have God's word unfolded to you. The invitation to you, if you're not a Christian, is to come to Jesus. He would have a life of salvation assigned to you. And so you can see how this applied to the immediate questions in Corinth, dealing with whether or not to stay in their marriage or whether or not to get married if they were single. And so the change to be considered, this passage, the change to be considered isn't a change of your situation. It's not a change of your relationship status. The change to be considered is a change of attitude toward obedience to Jesus wherever you are. That's what should change. The biggest question of this passage, the biggest question of this rule of life isn't, Someday, out there in the future, in a different situation, will you obey Jesus? All of us could probably say yes to that. That's not the question of this rule of life. The question is, will you obey Jesus today, right where you are, just the way that things are? 
Now, for you and me, this principle isn't just relevant to our relationships. It's relevant to every area of our life where we have tension. Paul says, this is my rule in all the churches, as if to say, this is actually what I tell Christians everywhere, in every place, in every situation. This is what I tell them all the time. And he's so serious about you and me picking up this rule of life that he mentions it in these seven verses. He mentions this rule of life three times. Now, to this point, you're probably going, preacher, this is so simple. This is so easy. Can you just get on to stuff I don't know? Can you make this, please, insightful today? But here's what I think is interesting. Paul wants to give us this rule of life so clearly and so plainly. He's driving it home three times because it's so simple that oftentimes we just bypass it. We don't apply it. How many times have you heard someone say, um, maybe, the, maybe the better, better way to put this, how many times have you said, or have you thought to yourself, if I could just have a different situation, like if I could just have a different job, if I could just have that promotion that that, no wonder he's so happy, like I would be happy if I got that big paycheck too. If I could just live in a different neighborhood, you know. Recently my wife and I were driving through a neighborhood that we really like, but we don't live in. Maybe you've driven through neighborhoods like that. And uh, you ever have a moment whenever you say something on the outside that was happening on the inside and you wanted to keep it on the inside, but now it's all of a sudden on the outside? We're driving through this neighborhood and we passed a particular house and that moment happened to me and I said, man, if we lived there, I would read my Bible every day. If we lived there, my prayer life would be fire. Our kids would be frolicking in delight and obedience to us. And my wife sort of goes, I was thinking the same thing and I wish I hadn't been. If my spouse, if if it's just that my spouse could stop doing that thing, if my spouse could just stop altogether being who they are, if my kids would just be different, If I just had a different upbringing, if things that happened to me hadn't happened to me, if I were treated differently than I was treated, then I would be. If I just had an alternate life, if I could do it all over again, easy for that person to carry out a life like that, I would too if my situation were like theirs. If I could do it all over again, I would. I want you to lean in with me here for a second. Because the fault in that kind of thinking isn't necessarily having those thoughts or impulses. You can't control that. Sometimes that just happens to you. Sometimes you're actively dreaming about an alternate life. Many times you're not, and you're just sort of finding yourself there. The fault isn't having thoughts about a different situation or a different life. Here's where the fault comes, and here's where I want you to lean in. When those thoughts and those impulses come, you start to disengage from your present life, your present situation, and your present relationships because they're not what you want. So I start dreaming about an alternate life, and the life I want, have is not the life I want, so I disengage from it, and I just give all my mental and emotional energies to a fake fantasy life. That's where the fault comes. You don't have that life. You have your life. You don't have those relationships, you have your relationships. And according to Paul's rule of life, those have been assigned to you by God. Those have been assigned to you by God. Hey, I want you to consider something with me for a second. Your life right now is tailor-made. It's fit perfectly to you, for you, to encounter the living God. 
Your life right now is tailor-made by God for you to experience him. And I'm including in that all of your hurts, all of your challenges, all of your pain. Everything about your life right now is tailor-made for you to meet God in the midst of all of that. It's tailor-made for you to have all the formation he sees fit to bring you as a follower of Jesus. I want you to consider one more thing with me. What if all the energy, all the strategy that you're giving to change your circumstances is actually you working against God? Think about the prayer requests that you give at community group. Hey, we pray for my job situation. Hey, we pray for this situation. Hey, we pray for that situation. And we all want the situations to change. What if God doesn't want those situations to change? What if it's you praying against God's will? What if it's you working against God? Hey, what if God wants your situation right now to stay the same? And he doesn't want to change your situation. What if he's after is changing you? and using your situation to spike up your attention for a need for change, you just thought it was your circumstance. He says, it's actually you. Can I ask one more harder question? What if, what if your circumstance that you so badly want to change won't? Will you still follow God? Will you still follow him? You see, where this passage moves next, Paul's got one point. It's a one-point sermon today. Where this passage moves next is two very brief illustrations to drive this rule home. Now, here's the deal. If these were my illustrations today, you would say, Chad, that's the last time you get to preach. Those were really bad illustrations. Uh, But they're not my illustrations. They're Paul's illustrations. I'm just going to read you the illustrations he gives to us. In the first century, they would have been money, money. They're going to feel shocking to us, but there is application. The two illustrations he gives to drive this point home is circumcision and slavery. You know, when I think about obedience to Jesus, I think about circumcision, right? That's what Paul is saying here. Pick up with me in verse 18. He says, was any of you, at the time of his call, at the time of becoming a Christian, were any of you circumcised? And all the Jewish men in the church at Corinth would have raised their hand. Yes, that's me. On the eighth day, Jewish custom, circumcised. Had it done, right? Paul says, I see you, Jewish men. Well, then I don't want you to seek to remove the marks of circumcision. And all the Jewish men breathe a sigh of relief. Thank you so much. A late life surgery would have been bad there. And then he says, were any of you at the time of your call uncircumcised? And all the non-Jewish Gentile men raised their hand. Yeah, that's me. He says, I see you guys. He says, well, I don't want you to seek to be circumcised. And all of them, the same as the Jewish men, breathe a sigh of relief. Wow, thank you so much. What's going on here? There was a real issue. There were actually these little religious factions in Corinth on both sides of this debate trying to tell people that if they were to have a higher spirituality, they needed to either take the Jewish sign of the covenant or have the procedure reversed. And circumcision was an external sign in their moment of the covenant that God had made with Old Testament Israel that through their seed, through their line, would come one day the Messiah who would deliver us from sin and restore us to God's presence. And so for males in the Old Testament to take the sign of the covenant was this external way of saying, I believe in the promises of God and I'm giving myself to his purposes in the world. But now that Jesus has come, the promised Messiah has arrived, that old covenant has been fulfilled, and Jesus has established a new for all who would look to him in faith. 
And so the new covenant is that God will be our God. We will be his people. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And now the sign of the new covenant is everything that Jesus has done in his death for sin and his resurrection from the dead. It's not a sign that we take. Instead, it's a sign that he gives to us. And the way that we show that we've come underneath the covenant isn't by an external modification. It's not by a change of status or circumstance. The way that we show we've come underneath the covenant is by submitting to Jesus by faith and being formed by his commands. It's transformation from the inside out, not the other way around. This is why he picks up in verse 19. For neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision, but what counts is keeping the commands of God. And so each one, here's the rule of life, should remain in the condition he was called. So his his point applied back to the rule, does circumcision help you obey Jesus? No. Does uncircumcision keep you from obeying Jesus? No. And so here's his point. Your current situation in life isn't keeping you from obeying Jesus any more than being uncircumcised would keep you from obeying Jesus. And so if you find obeying Jesus to be a problem, then it's not because of your situation. It's because you have a heart that refuses to submit to him in trust. You see, so often we want to blame our situation for our lack of spiritual vitality. He says, it's not your situation. It's your rebellious heart that refuses to submit. Bring that to God. Bring that to God. You see, obedience to Jesus is a heart issue, not a circumstance issue. Guys, think about all the money that we spend. Think about the anxiety that we spend on changing our appearances or external signs, the way that we look, how people see us concerned about all of those things, the money, the anxiety, keeping up appearances, and yet very little do we give any concern to how God sees our hearts in relation to obedience to Jesus. A simple question here. Where in your life are you concerned more about appearances than obedience to God? It's a big question. Me too. You see, on the great day, (laughs) when we stand before God, on the great day, he's not going to ask, to Paul's point, were you circumcised or not? That's not the question he's going to ask. But I'll tell you what he is going to care about. Did you look to my son, and did you keep his commands? Did you look to my son, and did you keep his commands? Because you can actually do that wherever you find yourself in whatever place you're in. The second illustration he uses is regarding slavery. Pick up with me in verse 21. Were you a bondservant when called? Well, do not become concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Paul's doing so many incredible things with this second illustration. When you hear about bondservant or slave, you got to know this is not the same kind of chattel slavery or race-based slavery that happened in early American and European history. This passage was actually horrifically and wrongly used by some in early American history to support slavery. Horrifically and wrongly used. You see, when you understand the Bible in its right context, in every civilization where slavery has been abolished, it's been because of Christian conviction because of God's word. God's word wants to enslave no one but to free all people. But some historians would estimate that nearly half of the Roman Empire were made up of bond slaves. 
In, in Corinth alone, nearly one-third of their population. And so let me define what it meant in their moment. This was in some cases like someone who was a servant in the home of a wealthy family, working as a butler or a maid or a homekeeper. But in most cases, a person would actually sell themselves into slavery in order to pay off debts, financial debts, in order to pay off debts from a crime. Or if you were a foreigner who moved into the Roman Empire, you would sell yourself into slavery to then have a way into Roman citizenship. These slaves would indenture themselves, but they were often very educated. They were allowed to continue their education. They owned property. Many of them were doctors and lawyers. And eventually, they could even buy themselves out of slavery. But all of that to say, this was a job of low social status. And if, if you could have found a way out of slavery, you would. Now, given the percentage of bond slaves in Corinth, surely when Paul writes this, many would have heard, hey, that, he's talking about me. And they would have perked up and listened. So here's what Paul is saying. Being a slave doesn't keep you from being a Christian. You know that. And so if you can move on, take the chance. But don't you know that a slave who is a Christian is completely free and has a high status before the Most High God? In fact, a slave who is in Christ is freer than a free man who is apart from God, and that will be revealed on the great day. But don't you know that a free man who is a Christian is a slave to Christ? That's the whole thing about what it is to be a Christian. You've given your rights over to Jesus. You've given your prerogative over to Jesus. You've given the final say of your life over to Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a slave to Jesus. If he says jump, we say how high. That's what it is. And so you belong to Jesus. That's the most important thing about you. That's your identity, not your job, not how people see you, how you belong to Jesus. You don't need to change your situation. You don't need to change your status to become something. What God has done for you in Jesus has made you into something. You don't become something in the world. You receive the something that God is making you into as an adopted son or daughter. So the other thing that Paul's doing with this illustration is he's showing how the gospel of Jesus completely explodes our social categories. In their moment, slaves and freemen didn't associate with each other in public. It was a social taboo. And yet now, where this letter is being written, you would have had slaves and freemen sitting next to one another in the pews. And so Paul is highlighting the power of the gospel to bring people together who would never otherwise have been together, not because their social situation changed, not because their skin color changed, they didn't need to change that, not because their situation changed, they didn't need to, but because the death and the resurrection of Jesus is a situation to itself that brings about a whole new situation. It takes people's hearts who were once far from each other, now with new hearts under the fatherhood of God into a common family. Galatians chapter 3. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. The most important thing about you isn't any of those identity markers. The most important thing about you is Jesus, and for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul pulls this whole section together in verses 23 and 24. Here's the finish today. Guys, you were bought with a price. So don't become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition you are called, let them remain there with God, the third time he gives us the rule of life. This is the second time in the book he's used this phrase, bought with a price. He's reminding us that the Lord who has called us and the gospel that has reached us did so right in the middle of life. 
And he hasn't called you because you're able to bring to him a price for your own freedom from sin. He's called you because he's offered up a price for your sin in the blood of his own son. You were bought with a price. And so because of that, he says, hey, don't, don't sell yourself out to the approval and the status opinion of other people. Don't sell yourself out to that. You were bought with a price, the precious blood of the most high God. Because you were bought with a price, don't sell yourself out to the wisdom of the world that tells you that the only way you can be happy is by having a life tailor-made to your preferences. You were bought with a price. Don't buy that lie. He says, hey, you were bought with a price. Don't buy the lie that when life is hard, God is holding out on you. It's not true. You were bought with a price. So you don't need a new situation. You don't need a new circumstance to be present with God. If he's truly God, he can break through your circumstance and be present with you now. You don't need a new circumstance for that. You don't need things to change in order for you to be formed by Jesus. He's present to form you whatever life is throwing at you right now. And here's the final thing today. Saying yes to Jesus Saying yes to Jesus is not something you do at a different moment when things are different. If you're really saying yes to Jesus, you do that right now, just how things are, and with whatever mess you're bringing to the table. You just put your yes on the table. Yes. Yes, good king. Whatever you would say, whatever you would have of me, and however you'd want to use me right now, just how life is, Yes, yes. So here's two questions I'll leave you with today. Have you been delaying obedience to Jesus for a later time when things are different? Is there any place where you've been delaying obedience to Jesus for a later time when things are different? Well, I just moved to Oklahoma City. I'm not really settled now, but I'll like, you know, whenever I'm more settled, then I'll kind of get on. Have you been delaying things? The second question, and my answer to this is yes. Is there any place in your life where you need to practice being present with God in the middle of your situation? I want to be present with God in a different situation. (laughs) Is there any place in your life where you need to practice being present with God in the middle of your situation? Let's pray together. Father, I want to, with everyone in the room today, just own my own, my own need for this sermon. God, I pray that you'd apply it to every heart here today. And I just want to say, God, you know this about us, that following Jesus is not normal to us What's normal to us is following our own preferences. That's what's normal to us. In so many places in our life, in my life, we don't even consider what following Jesus would look like. We just assume that following our own preferences is okay and fine. And so, God, I would ask today that you would give us, would you please bless us, God, with an interruption of our preferences and say, what would you, what would you have of me? God, and we want it together, all of us, all of life is about situations. (laughs) 
And so, God, I want to say with everyone in the room today, we give you our desires for certain situations to change. We give you our requests for you to move and to break in. But, God, even if you delay, would you help us to say yes to Jesus right in the midst? Change us, oh God. We offer this in Jesus' name. Amen.